Welcome to the podcast. I am Joel here with my dad. I'm Rick. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, dad. So I want to keep going today talking about this new book that I've just spent two years. Great book. Yeah. uh, Two years writing and it just came out September 1st. It's called Love Slows Down, How to Keep Anger and Anxiety from Ruining Life's Relationships. And in the book, I talk about how we've all got some hopes and dreams. We've all got hopes and dreams of having security, of having connection, and of having control or empowerment, the ability to make our own decisions. We want you know, physical security, relational security, emotional, financial security. We want connection. We want to feel validated, loved by others, esteemed. And then we want to feel this sense of control, autonomy, ability to make our own decisions. And how whenever we feel anger or fear, it's because of a threat to one of those three things all the time. And uh, what, in the section on fear, uh, there's, an, in, there's a chapter that I put in there. And uh, when I first wrote it, I was like, there's something here. But I remember sharing it with uh, my agent. She really helped me work through the concepts in this and really helped me clarify them. Because, you know, it's so hard when you're, when you're writing a book. Sometimes you think something's crystal clear, but it's really not. I've heard somebody say, if it's, a, if it's a mist in your head, it'll be a fog in the readers. And my agent, on one of them, one chapter in particular, she said, this chapter on responsibility and the connection between responsibility, fear, and anger, I don't see you making a clear connection. And I really got... I got a little angry at first when uh-huh. she said it. I was like, it's so clear, but it wasn't. And I really yeah. had to drill down what's the connection between responsibility and fear and anger. And the best example I could think of was when we moved to Acapulco a few years ago. And I thought we were going down there to teach the locals, we were going to teach them the gospel. Yeah. But really the one that got a schooling was me. And the thing I got the schooling one was we, we ended up taking over this property down there that was right on the ocean. It was actually kind of paradise. Uh, except it was a very dangerous neighborhood. So yeah. uh, the former missionary there, he would call it a cesspool in paradise. <laughs> so it was very dangerous, a lot of drugs and just bad things happened in that neighborhood. But um, man, stuff was breaking all the time. And I remember when we first got there, uh, like the first thing that broke on my watch was a fridge. And I called the missionary. I was like, hey, who do I call out here to fix this thing? And he's like, uh, nobody's going to come out there. You got to <laughs> fix that thing. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to, I'm not here to fix things. I'm here to teach people the gospel, right? <laughs> And he's like, no, bro, you got to fix it. So uh, I got really mad. And and finally he's like, just, you know, ask somebody for help. So I called a pastor there, Pastor Max. And Max came over and just started taking the thing apart with screwdriver. I'm like, do you know what you're doing? He's like, "Eh, I've never done this before, but we'll figure out what looks wrong. Sure enough, we found what was wrong. We ended up fixing the thing. And I remember feeling so empowered because a lot of times what happens is, man, when things are out of our control, we feel helpless. And um, you, you taught me that, 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 that idea of, in fact, I remember you teaching me this, the idea of locus of control. Um, explain that locus of control. I talk about it in the book, but explain it. Yeah, you either have an internal locus of control or an external locus of control. And the internal means that you feel like control what happens to you. There's some internal control. You have some say over what happens to you. People who have an external locus of control feel like they're basically victims. What happens to me is always controlled by what's outside me. Yeah. My environment impacts me and I just I just have to take what comes or deal with it the best I can. Well, one of the examples of that is uh, this thing, this idea of learned helplessness. Um, and learned helplessness is, is an experiment they did in rats. Rats are actually very good swimmers. Like they can swim for hours and hours, but they would take certain, like a, a control group and they would actually hold these rats and you know, squeeze them until they were forced to give up fighting. Mm-hmm. And the ones that, that they had forced to give up fighting, they threw in a pretty violent experiment, but they yeah. threw them in with these other rats and or with, with the regular control group. And the ones who had been forced to give up fighting, like 
by the forces that were stronger than the human that was holding them, they drowned way quicker than the others. And it's basically this idea that if you feel like, and we talked about this in another episode, past disappointment has shown you you don't have a say over what happens to you. Yeah. You're way more prone to give up early because you're like, well, that, there's nothing I can do to fix this anyways. Yeah. Well, maybe a, like a less deadly example of that would be the one where you've seen elephants at a circus and they're tied up to this little bitty wooden stake driven in the ground and, and they got a little rope around their leg. And you know that elephant. Yeah, rip it out in a second. No problem at all. But the way they train the elephants as a baby, they tie chain him to something that's really strong and he kicks and kicks and fights and fights and cuts his little leg up and then eventually gives up. And then you can just tie him with a rope and a little bitty stake and he'll stay there because he's convinced he can't break free. Yeah, and I, so I think that is a challenge for us. And I think it's what leads to a lot of fear and anger. Um, the best example I can think of this is I was, I was talking about anger, fear one time to a bunch of pastors and a pastor came up to me afterwards and he's like, you know what, while you were talking, I realized I'm really angry at my congregation. I was like, whoa, that's not a good place to be <laughs> when you're angry. I said, well, so I, I talked to him a little bit later. He came up to me and I said, well, what are you angry about? And he's like, He's like, we're just getting frustrated and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, they're, they're angry at me and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, what's going I said, it sounds like they're looking for you to lead them. And he said, well, I'm not going to lead them. He said, I'm going to do what's necessary to keep my job. Because the last guy that tried to really change the church, they fired him. And I was like, oh, I hear that story a lot. A lot of pastors come in and try and help a, the church do what's necessary to move the church forward. And the people get upset. They get afraid because somebody's moving their their organ or yeah. putting a drum set on the stage or whatever it is nowadays, bringing lights in, you know, um, and they fire the pastor, right? And so this pastor's like, no, I'm not going to put my family at risk and be getting fired. So I asked him, I said, well, how long have you been at the church? And he said, 12 years. And I was like, 12 years. 12 years. No wonder they're frustrated. You've yeah. built enough credibility to where you should be able to move them forward. You've got some money in the bank relationally with them. Um, but, he, but the fear had caused him to not take responsibility. And here's the thing, as the leader, he was the one that was responsible. And yeah. I've coached so many people and I've seen this so much in life that when somebody who's responsible for something doesn't take responsibility, tries to pawn it off on someone else or just abdicates responsibility, it creates fear, anxiety, chaos, and ultimately anger in those that they lead because the person that's not responsible is trying to lead or somebody goes and does a power grab and the most forceful person on the in the, in the group. Yeah. I've seen that with pastors, business leaders, they get bored with what they're doing. They check out, they find something else, you know, to, yeah. to get involved in. And the staff has this internal quarreling going on and the pastor's kind of like wants to avoid it or feels like they're above it. But there's all this quarreling going on because people are looking for the one who's in charge of leading to lead, but they don't lead. And we see that so many times that when the leader who has a responsibility for leadership doesn't lead, they get the people under them feel anger, they feel fear, they feel anxiety. And then the opposite happens, whereas if you take too much responsibility for something that's not your responsibility, you get angry and frustrated. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the challenge too, is responsibility is a moving target. It's funny, yeah, I've experienced both of those. In fact, not too long ago, you know, where I've under seen leadership that's kind of like pushing a rope, you know, mm -hmm. trying to lead from the back, you know, and uh, and get everybody else to do what they're doing, but like it's your idea, you know, mm -hmm. and that's frustrating. So then you try and step in, but you're not really the one that's supposed to be stepping in. So you don't really have the authority to do that. And then you get frustrated too. You yeah. Know? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had that experience um, with a pastor I worked under who happened to be you. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm <laughs> when, glad it was good for you. Well, it was, it was an interesting lesson to me in, in the realization that 
there's some things you just aren't responsible for. And if the leader, so there were some things you would ask me to do and I would try and do them and it didn't go well. And people would get angry at me because they'd be looking for you to do it. And you're like, well, I've given the authority to Joel, but I really didn't have the authority because I didn't have the position. And there's some things that just by the nature of the position, you just got to do it. Yeah. And if you don't, it got me angry because I'd try and, I'd try and exert the thing that I, you told me to do. And I didn't have the authority officially to do it because I didn't have the title. And then the people under me that were like, well, you're not this, I'm looking to the pastor to tell me what to do. And I'd try and tell them what to do. And they're like, well, and they'd go around me and they'd go to you and you'd be like, yeah, I'll go ahead and do that. And then I'd be like, well, why did you make me do that? And again, it's that when the responsibility isn't taken, it can lead to a lot of anger and frustration. Have you, have you forgiven me? Of course I have. Okay, I, it was good. actually a great lesson for me because my tendency- <laughs> And how not to lead. <laughs> no, no, my, this is the lesson for me was my tendency sometimes is to take responsibility for stuff because I get frustrated. I'm like, well, I'll just step up and by the sheer force of my personality, I'll do this. But there are some things that no matter yeah. how much the sheer force of your personality you may use, if you don't have the authority and the responsibility for it, you're just going to get angry yourself and the other people under you are going to get and angry. And create resentment, yeah. Yeah, especially as, a, especially as a leader. Yeah. Um, and that's the tricky part about it is, in many ways, responsibility is a moving target. Um, and because like sometimes like something that you were responsible for, like raising your kids, there comes a point where your kids make their own decisions yeah. and you no longer can be responsible for them. But if you're trying to be responsible for them, it's just going to lead to you being f- perpetually frustrated and angry. Um, and perpetual kids being perpetual kids. And yeah, a lot yeah. Of, I've seen that so many times where you, know, you don't let the kid grow up, you don't let him suffer the consequences of his own misbehavior. And so therefore he's 45 years old and you're still bailing him out of jail instead of letting him sit there and find his own bail money or whatever. Yeah, so you're removing the responsibility from that person when yeah. they need to take the responsibility. Yeah. And a lot of times, I think actually all the time, it's because of fear. Fear of how you'll look, fear of mm-hmm. not being in control of the situation, um, fear of what if my child ruins his life? And I mean, this, in the child yeah. example, mm-hmm. there's, there's always fear wrapped up in failure to take responsibility, I think, or taking too much responsibility. Yeah, I think there it might be taking too much responsibility, responsibility for things that aren't, aren't yours, you know? Yeah, this um, the, it reminds me of the Reinhold Niebuhr, God grant me the, his prayer, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage, to change the things I can, which is what's my responsibility? I need to take it. Yeah. And the wisdom to know the difference, which is where it gets really tricky because like sometimes you just don't know, is this my responsibility or is it not? And yeah. if nobody's taking responsibility, should, should I, I just step need- up and do it or yeah. Yeah. But then sometimes you step up and do it and everybody resents it because it really wasn't your responsibility. And the, per- yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough call sometimes. Yeah. And, the, the, I think the challenge is, so one of the things that I, I talk about in the book in Love Slows Down is the idea that um, when you, the, back to this internal versus external locus of control, so many mm-hmm. times we get, we feel helpless in a situation. Um, but you always have to say, what's my, res-? when you start feeling fearful, helpless, overwhelmed, anxious, you say, what can I do? And there's, I believe there's always something you can do. And it may be as simple as checking your attitude or praying. Um, but, but one of the things I think you've got to do is you've just got to aim as low as you can. Like what's the smallest step of responsibility you can take here? And there's always something you can do. Um, it, yeah. it may be 
get your get your attitude right. Yeah. Or, but yeah, we were talking about this with somebody, one of our missionaries, the other day, and we were just talking about how sometimes all you need to do is do the next right thing. Mm. You want to solve That's the whole what problem. Elsa, Elsa says that I think in Frozen Two. Oh, is that right? Or is, or is it to Anna? Do the next right thing. Is that right? Oh, at least sings it all the time. Yes. Oh my goodness. That's where I get all my philosophy <laughs> from right. Disney movies and from <laughs> from five year olds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we were just wow. Okay, well now I'm not as impressed. But anyway. <laughs> but you came up with that on your own, right? Or did it or was it subtly implanted in there by Frozen Two? It was probably subtly implanted in there. You know, I probably woke up in the middle of the night thinking I had a revelation from God and it was just from Elsa. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, from the Disney writers. But anyway, sometimes that's all you have to do because you're you're wanting to solve the whole problem, solve the whole problem, and you don't know. And until you take the next step, you're not going to see any further than that. Yeah. And so you just have to, to just wow, that's a song. It is a song. Do the next right thing. <laughs> okay. What? Well, and I think that's part of what, you know, I mean, the foundation of our faith is like you've got to take responsibility for your falling short of the glory of God. Yeah. 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 What's interesting is he, Jesus paid the penalty for it, but to get the, the, benefit of that is you've got to say, you've got to fess up and say, yeah, the buck stops here. Um, I was born into sin. I was born into a, a, you know, I was born into this world of sin, but I did my own part in the sinning. Um, and that's where I think so much of it. I mean, that's a hard thing to confess is like, what, what's your part in this? What's, what part have you played in it? And I, I found that in my life where, um, in the book, I talk about how um, somebody really, a pastor really burned me a few years ago that I had to look at my responsibility in it. And, yeah. um, that Solzhenitsyn talked about that in his, uh, in his book, the Gulag Archipelago, he had to look at say, you know, here I am in communist Russia in a Siberian Gulag. Uh, what part did I play in this? And he could say none, none. But he said that his part was he didn't speak truth when lies were abounding and he fell into allowing lies to be spoken and all of a sudden the lies, the whole societal lie took over and people started saying things they didn't really believe because of fear of being condemned or whatever. And all of a sudden society turned into this communist dictatorial society with no free speech. And he said, my part was I didn't speak up soon enough. And I think that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty potent thought is. Yeah. Of course, the crazy part is had he spoken up, he still could have ended up in the same place. Potentially, yeah. yeah. But Good. there's that, you know, the 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 lingering question of it is always like, what part did I have to play in this? And yeah. I think that's what God, for God to set us free from our sin is he says, you've got to admit your part in this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is taking responsibility. I mean, that's a heavy, it's a heavy thing. I, I think that's kind of Jordan Peterson's main message is like, take yeah. responsibility for your life. And, yeah. and, and, and when you do that, life takes on meaning. Um, when you take on the responsibility and when you, your life takes on meaning, but when you abdicate responsibility, if something's always external to you, yeah. it's always some, somebody else's fault that I'm not what I want to be. Um, well, then you're like that. I hate to say this, but you're like that rat. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna drown. Yeah, uh, because it's it's always it's always outside of you. But really, the the answer is, and this sounds so zen, but the answer is inside of you. Like, yeah. what are you gonna do on your own? To, to take responsibility for what you can do. So, if what you're, so what, what I hear you saying is that we have to realize that we are not all victims of what's going on around us. We may not be able to control what's going on around us, but we can control the internal response to that. Yes. And so I have, I am always, I always have some control 
over what's going on. I may not, like uh, Viktor Frankl, I may not be able to keep myself from being thrown into a, a concentration camp, but once I'm in there, I can either be bitter and hateful and mm-hmm. mad at God and mad at people, or I can determine that, okay, I'm going to, I am in control of my responses here. Yes. And I'm I'm going to make the best of this and do the best I can with it and believe that God has an ultimate, I mean, for believers, believe that God has an ultimate purpose and that he's working something bigger in here. And so the idea of looking inside, I know, you know, it sounds very Zen, looking the answers within. But as a believer, the answer is within because the spirit of the living God who has all the answers and who is not only the answers but the questions as well dwells within us. Yeah. So if we're looking to the spirit of the living God within us, then the answer is within. Yeah. It, it, I mean, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He will quicken your mortal body. That's the, the answer is, yeah, it is right. That's true. It's right inside of you there. So that's where we're, we're recognizing, like Paul the Apostle, when he's shipwrecked and he's beaten and all these terrible things are happening to him, whether I live, I live for Christ. If I die, I die for Christ. I'm whether I live or whether I die. Yeah. It's all about him. Yeah, and 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 you mentioned a minute ago the, the thing you can always control is your attitude, your mindset, the way you look at it, and you're the only one that can control that. And the crazy thing is nobody can take that away from you. Right. Like they can change. I mean, that's what... Paul, I rejoice in my suffering, for I know that suffering produces yeah. endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope will not put us to shame. Um, it's like, there's that's something, you, when you take responsibility for your attitude, nobody can take that away from you. Yeah, And that's how you can rejoice in your suffering, because it's like recognizing, well, I believe really deep within me that God is going to work things all, all things together for good, and the best thing I can do is keep my attitude right in the middle of this, uh, yeah, that's, but that's the challenge. Maybe a good example of that uh, there's an old, I heard it was an old Texas Ranger saying that they, they say, you can't stop a good man who just keeps a coming. Right. And what I thought about that was like Paul, the apostle, the, the, the legend or whatever it is that, that tells us the history of the church, whether it's actual history or not. They say that Paul, the apostle was at one point in time chained between two Roman officers, Roman soldiers, and they had to keep changing out the guard because those soldiers kept becoming believers. Mm. And so the one way you could say, I'm chained between two, I'm chained a prisoner between these two guys. You can say, these two guys are chained to me and they have to hear the gospel. Wow. They have got, they can't go anywhere. Yeah. And so it's that internal, which way you're looking at it, who you're living for, what your goals are. And his goal in life was to preach the gospel where it wasn't known before. And so, hey, I got these two guys, they're not going anywhere. Well, and if you're living in fear, your self, your focus is always going to be on the self-preservation element of it. Yeah. I think about, well, I think about like with kind of back to the example of the leadership, like not taking leadership because of fear of losing your job or something or, or fear of not being able to have what it takes to do it or not being enough. I think about the example of, I, I mentioned this in Love Slows Down, the difference between King Saul and David. So King Saul, uh, the first time David shows up on the scene after he's already been anointed to be king is... He shows up at the battlefield. Goliath is taunting them. The guy who's, King Saul was the head and shoulders above everybody in Israel. Biggest guy in Israel, yeah. He had the armor. He had the weapons. A lot of these guys didn't have, they had, you know, pitchforks and hoes they were fighting the enemies with. But he actually had the armor. But everybody was cowering in fear because of Goliath. And David comes in and says, this guy's defying the armies of God. So it wasn't about him. It was about what's, how's this making God look? And he comes in fearless ends up knocking out, you know, killing Goliath, taking off his head, and all of a sudden, this is what's fascinating, David, David, or Saul has killed his thousands, they start chanting, and then they say, but David has killed his ten thousands, and immediately, what does it say? And Saul became 
angry. Failure to take responsibility led to him ultimately being angry, but it was because it was about Saul not getting the credit. So it's again that it all is wrapped up in itself. But David, because he was willing to not, David wasn't afraid. Right. He's like, you don't come and defy the armies of Israel. Like I'm coming up against you in the name of you know, God. And he ends up killing Goliath. But ultimately when he took responsibility because, and this is another example of when you don't take responsibility, anger shows up. Uh, Saul didn't take responsibility. David took responsibility for something that probably should have been Saul's to fight face off with him. But Saul had a, you notice that Saul had a lot of fear and anxiety and a lot of anger too. He has an interesting response as I was reading through his story, prep, like researching for this book. He had this thing where he wouldn't eat when he would get anxious. Mm. It was very interesting. Um, there's a lot of examples of him saying, nobody's going to eat. I'm not going to eat. Nobody's going to eat yeah. here until this gets resolved. And But he had so much anger and anxiety and even says he had like a, a spirit come over him. And I wonder if, I mean, who knows? Maybe there's a connection between his... I mean, he was even afraid to be anointed king, didn't they? When they went to go get him, yeah. wasn't he hiding in the... Yeah, he knew he was going... He had been told by Samuel that he was going to be chosen. So when the lot is being drawn, he goes and he hides because he didn't want to be king. You know, he was not... He started out as a great man. In fact, it says there was not a better man in all of Israel. Yeah. And something transpired when the helmet was put on him or when the crown was put upon him. And, you know, I've, I've never... There was like this transition all of a sudden that power, you know, we hear power corrupts, ultimate power corrupts, ultimately, or um, absolute power. I've never really seen that, but I have seen it now in life where a person can totally change. And that's exactly what Paul did, or Paul, Saul did. He was one way before, and then all of a sudden when he had the authority, then I think perhaps maybe all of a sudden he felt like, well, now I've got to do something. Now I've got to, instead of depending on the Lord, well, now I'm the king. I've got to, it's all on my shoulders. And it's easy when you have a position of authority, when God's put you in a position of authority, feel like you have to now grab the reins. Wow. Instead of remembering that is your deal, God. It's like when Moses, when the Lord says, Moses, the people you let out, Moses, you take the reins. I'm not going with you. The people you let out of Egypt, you take them. And he said, no, God, these are your people. You brought them out. I'm not going anywhere unless you go with me. And so Moses had the exact same opposite attitude. That's, that's fascinating because it takes this responsibility thing to the next level too, is sometimes we take responsibility for something that's actually God's, but we've got to do our part. But we're, we're trying to control something that manage something, hold on to something God gave us, but really it's his responsibility to keep us there. That, that's a curious thing because the word we use, stewardship, many times we use stewardship to mean I have to take good care of the things that God has given me. Mm. I have to use the resources God has given me. Well, that's not what stewardship is. Stewardship is when you are caring for somebody else's resources. They're still his. So I still have to, so stewardship is, well, God, what do you want to do with it? Well, Lord, that's a really foolish investment. <laughs> hey, it makes no difference. It's mine. I'll yeah. do with it what I want to. If I want, if I tell you to go bury it, go bury it. Yeah. And your responsibility is to obey at that point. Obey, exactly. Yeah. Not to decide what's the best. And we just see that all the time. We use the term stewardship for me taking responsibility for the resources God has given to me. He's not given us anything. It's mm. all still his. The, heaven, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all still belongs to him. He's just saying... I'm going to let you use it. Like, you know, it's like the story of the guy who says, God, I want to give you everything, everything. Okay, here's my billfold, God. He goes, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I see a driver's license. Do you have a car? Well, yeah, Lord. Well, give me the car. Uh, oh, well, how am I going to get to work? Well, I guess I could take my wife's car. Oh, you have another car? Well, give me that one too. Uh, 
Yeah, well, wait a minute, Lord, where, I mean, where am I going to, how do I get home? Oh, you have a home? He said, you want to give me everything? I want the home. Home? Well, God, my clothes. You have clothes? I want the clothes. So you end up, you know, you go through this whole story, you give everything to God, and then he says, okay, now look, I really, these clothes don't fit me. I'm going to let you use them. That house, I don't need a house. I'm going to let you use it. Here's the key back. But it's my house. Wow. I'm going to let you use it. And I don't have a need for a car. Could you use a car? I'm going to let you use my car, but it's my car. And if I need you to pick up some smelly, dirty person in it and take them someplace, it's my car. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And that's really where it's so easy for us to grab the reins and feel like, I'm just being a good steward. No, you're not. You're taking care of your stuff when he says, no, it's my stuff. Man, that takes some serious insight, though. Uh, it takes some serious always thinking it through and remembering because it's so easy to be No, but that's my mind. point is like you have to just constant, not insight, maybe the word is constant awareness. Attention, yeah. Attention to it mm-hmm. because we're always wanting to... Grab and, the and, and honestly, so like one of the things, that the continuum of that locus of control thing we talked about is the neurosis versus a character disorder. And people with a neurosis, they tend to take responsibility for everything, even mm. if it's not their own responsibility. And I would say I lean that way more. I'm like well, God doesn't seem to be taking good care of this, so I'm going to take care of this one for him. Stewardship. Yeah, in the name of stewardship. <laughs> God, you're, and God's like, I don't, you know, I don't think God We're needs- destroying the planet. We need to save the planet. Oh, okay, I just stepped on some toes, but it's like, really? It's well- not my, I think we need to clean up after ourselves. You do, you- Just like yeah. you learned in kindergarten. Right. You know, not make messes that you don't clean up. But I am not responsible for maintaining the ozone. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I know. I just stepped on some toes. Here. <laughs> I know that's. I'm, that's a whole that's, other podcast. But that's a challenging because that's a whole worldview issue. Like, is it really? I mean, did God? How much is God going to take responsibility for His world? And that comes back to the deist idea of well, he, did God did God set it in motion and be like, hey, you guys figure it out, or is it like is God actively involved in sustaining the world? There's very different theologies there. Well, and he, gave, I mean, he did say, I give you dominion over it. Yeah. You're to rule over it. So I'm to rule over this, but it's still his. It so is that means his. I do take care of it. I do clean it up. But I mean, if I feel like the ultimate responsibility is upon me to save the planet. That's a heavy weight. Oh, yeah. You're never yeah. going to be able to do that. Yeah. I mean, it's like you go back to Jordan Peterson again. He says, you're out there wanting to change the world and you don't even know what needs to be changed. Just clean up your room. Yeah. Yeah, have you have you looked at the state of your own home? Yes. Yeah, clean up your room, and then you might be able to figure out how you can clean up the world. But That's, if your if your own life is a mess, what are you not trying to save the world for until your own life is in order? And what you get your own life in order? That's it's true. like the old Chinese proverb: if every man sweeps the sidewalk in front of his house, the whole sidewalk will be clean. That's true. So just get your own life in order. I mean, and that, that's that'll a great take you the rest of your life. That, but that's a, I mean, that takes the whole thing to the next level, though, is, is remembering that ultimately it's God's responsibility to, I mean, it's God's world. He owns it, and he can, for some reason, he chooses to use us, yeah. um, which is why our responsibility oftentimes is just to obey, just to do, like you said, do the next right thing. Oh. Do the next right thing. I'm going to have learned yes. that song. Yes. I didn't know that. But I do, thought it was some deep, profound philosophy. But it's so funny because it's like we learn this as kids. What's that book? Uh, the, everything, everything I, need to I learn. needed learned in kindergarten. Fulgham. Robert Fulgham. Yeah, everything yeah, I need to know I learned book. in kindergarten. An old book, but a great one. So much of what we learn is in kindergarten is, applies to everything. It's like mm-hmm. just do what's right in front of you. Be nice to people. Share. Care for what's in front of you. Clean up Take your responsibility. Messes. And if you'll do that, um, 
stay in your lane, basically. Stay in your lane, take care of your, sweep your sidewalk, take responsibility. If God's given you a, and, and that's one of the challenges too, is it's like, he's not gonna give you more responsibility until you've taken responsibility for what's your responsibility now. Mm-hmm. So I see a lot of times people pouring their energy into taking responsibility for churches when their own home is a mess. Yeah. Uh, pastors, man, I'm, I'm out there giving and giving and giving. And, and well, actually, and this is what one of the things I talk about heavily in the next, uh, the section after this one on values is sometimes we end up taking responsibility for things that are, we, we ignore things that are really clearly our responsibility and start dabbling in things that are maybe our responsibility, mm-hmm. maybe not. And the things that truly are responsibility suffer for it. So you end up um, you know, pouring your energy. I see this with pastors all the time, pouring their energy into the church, believing they're really doing it with a sincere heart for yeah. the Lord. Meanwhile, their, their primary responsibility, their family is being neglected and then their family's getting angry. They're getting mm-hmm. resentful of their father, you know, the father. God's taking my dad from me. Yeah. You know, I hear that with a lot of missionaries. They, they, God took my dad from me. Like he was out there serving them, but he couldn't even serve his own family. And it comes back to what's right in front of you right now that you can take responsibility for. And when you do that, yeah, there's a lot of big problems in the world. There's a lot to worry about in the world. There's a lot of things that need to be fixed out there in the world. But if you'll take responsibility for what's right in front of you right now, slow down, love those around you the best you can, um, God, God will use that in some amazing way um, to, to help the rest of those big problems get resolved. Yeah. So many times it comes down to us. Yeah, and a lot of times it's, we, we want to try and solve those big problems. We want to solve the church problems. We want to do all that because we feel, we feel the feedback from that. Mm-hmm. We're appreciated by those people. Oh, pastor, you were just so helpful to me. Whereas when it's at home, it's like, well, of course, honey, you took the yeah. garbage out. What do you want me to pat you on the That's back That's your for responsibility. That? You're yeah. supposed to do that. You know? <laughs> so right. you don't get any kudos for that. You don't get, and so you don't feel good. So you feel good when you're out there. And so it really isn't so much about serving God as I feel some affirmation, value. I feel valued when I'm doing that. So it really goes back to about me too. Yeah. You know, and so therefore we, it's easy to fool ourselves that way and feel like we're really doing it for God. But really it's that we get the, we get the affirmation when we're doing that when we're at home and we take the garbage out and we do that. Well, it's like, well, that's, and that's what we need to appreciate our spouses, even when they're doing things that of course they do that. Yeah. But still they did it. Right. Let's express some appreciation for that. It helps. Yeah. Take responsibility for what's right in front of you. And if there's, if you feel like there's literally nothing you can do, there's always something you can do and that's get your attitude in line, get your mindset right. And, uh, and and that's that'll that'll keep the anger and the fear at bay. Yeah, um, and so. and realize it too. It's not the world around you. You can't control that necessarily, but you can control that internal locus of control. I am not out of control because the spirit of the living God dwells within me, mm-hmm. and He can do something about this situation. But whether He chooses to or not, I can make sure that internally, I'm serving Him and rejoicing. That's what we rejoice in the Lord always. For this is the will of God. Yeah. So if you want to dive more into that, um, the whole section on, on the connection between fear, responsibility, it's in love slows down, uh, how to keep anger and anxiety from ruining life relation, life's relationships. It's available online. Uh, any of your bookstores will have it. Uh, across the nation, September 1st, 2020. And um, we'll keep talking about this over the next few weeks. It's good, good topics. Great. If you liked what you heard, please consider sharing this with a friend. For more information, visit joelmalm.com or rickmalm.com. Thanks for listening.